0: It has more of a moral and spiritual significance, right, implications. Because a lot of what's God's law is moral law. Today's passage is in the context of God pronouncing judgment on Assyria, a godless nation. By focusing on, uh, so we didn't get to read the whole chapter, but uh, by focusing on Assyria's defeat, and Judah's exaltation, the Lord, the king of Judah, is exalted. And that's the, that's, what's, that's the context of this chapter. And in verse 22, it says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. So here in verse 22, it proclaims that God is our lawgiver. The scriptures teach us, That God is a holy and loving sovereign who cares for the well-being of of his creation. So it only makes sense for God uh, that such a God should rule over his creation and administer justice. And, um, you know, uh, rewarding the good that is done and punishing the evil. That is only the right thing and the natural thing, appropriate thing for him to do. That's one thing that we have to realize. And God has established the moral laws that we have to live by. And he also holds us accountable for our obedience as well as our disobedience. We are not created to be autonomous. The Greek word auto- autonomous, like uh, in Greek, if you break it down, auto means self, right? And namous, it means, in Greek word, it means law. So when we say, uh, when I say we are not created to be autonomous, it means that we are not created to be self-governed or, um, you know, being free to, uh, to, uh, free to be a law to ourselves. But rather, we were created to be under God's law. That's how we were created. But the, th- the thing is, we always think that we are law to ourselves. Like, I am on my own. I am my own authority. I am my own God. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. But that's not how we were created to be. We don't want to acknowledge that. And it comes from our sinful nature that has started back, all the way back in the Garden of, uh, not but Garden of Eden, right, with Adam and Eve. They didn't want to obey what God has given them. You can eat anything you want in this whole wide world except the tree of of, uh, the fruit of knowledge of good, good and evil. And yet they say, okay, that's the one that we want, right? We don't want to. We want to be autonomous. And that's where the whole, like the fall and the sin was introduced into the world. And ever since, that's what we've been living under, the curse of sin. You know, I think uh, we often think that God's law makes our life harder because it's suffocating and it restricts our freedom because it's a law in the end, right? People think that it is God's law is the opposite of fun, but nothing can be further from the truth. God created us in such a way That grateful obedience would bring us true joy. That's how God created us. That's why God has designed us in such a way that when we obey him, obey his laws, that will bring true joy in our hearts. In other words, duty and delight go hand in hand according to God's design. So oftentimes when it comes to being a Christian, we think those two are mutually exclusive duty duty bound being duty bound as christian what we ought to do and having delight oftentimes we think that these are not the same they are like separated maybe there's a little like overlap a little bit but a lot of christians think they we obey the law of god it's it's an obligation it's a duty that we have to do So that is, it's it's a separate entity from having delight. And yet, the way God has designed is when we obey, when we follow him, when we keep the law of God, that there is true joy, there is true delight that comes. It's counterintuitive. And it's mysterious. But it is true. And that is a spiritual secret that often people, a lot of Christians do not understand. They think, oh, I have to obey the law. I have to obey God. Oh, what a drag. Well, what, a, what a burden in my life. But when you look at the life of Jesus, when Jesus followed every, all of his life, there was not even a single moment in his life where he was, you know, he, Even if it went close to sinning or just uh, disobeying the law of God. Was he ever such a burdensome uh, person? No. He would always praise the Father as he obeyed. He sought to obey him. When we read a lot of Psalms of David, we see a lot of inner workings and inner thoughts of his life. Even in this uh, Psalm that we just read, the law of God was such a delight to him and it's something that only the people who obey and walk with him can truly understand because our human thought thinking that if i have to obey the law it will make my life miserable there is no joy there is no delight but nothing can be further from the truth that is a lie of the enemy if you try to obey god you have to just you know just cut, cut out a lot of your fun activities what you want to do so it's not going to be fun there is no delight absolutely not the fallen human heart hates god's law because it is law first and because it comes from god that's why we in our fallen nature we hate it if we are really honest with ourselves we don't like it Oh, here goes another law. Here goes another restriction that I have to to abide by. It's hard. It's suffering. That's the fallen human nature. But those who are in Christ Jesus come to find out that there is joy in keeping it. They want to do it out of their love for God and also out of their gratitude for his grace. And you also come to realize that the Holy Spirit empowers you to obey to a greater degree than you thought it was possible. Because God, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, will give us this power in us. That was not from our own, but the Holy Spirit will give us the power and the desire to obey him. He will provide the strength that you would need to obey Him. Have you experienced joy as you obey God? You know, just this past week, I was talking with uh, a a, a person here, a person in our our church. Because, you know, last week, uh, we talked about, you know, the prayer, right, Um, and seeking the Lord and things like that. And uh, this week, that person said, um, uh, so that she, she had a really tough time at work, right? And so, if it was like any other time, she would kind of complain about it, and why is this happening, God? But then I think she was reminded, oh, wait, in my prayer, I have to really seek the Lord, and even just ask, you know, just wait on God, right? Listen to what he has to say. So uh, she said that uh, this week, and she was really like, uh, it was really stressful, and it was really hard for her at work, and yet she would pray, I said, God, what are you trying to tell me, right? What is it that you are trying to teach me? And and when she she did that and she prayed in such a way that it just gave her a whole different perspective. And I said, aha, and then she was able to really, be able to really, uh, you know, just have a right mindset uh, and approach to the whole issue at work. And that really changed everything, right? And, uh, and she was uh, sharing that. Uh, and that was such an encouragement that, you know, as she was instead of kind of complaining to God about why is this happening at work, it's just not fair. This, I was not really treated uh, fairly. This is not right, God. What's going on? Instead of praying like that. But she said, what is it that you are trying to, to teach me? And through that, she said, now I understand what prayer is in a deeper way. It's not just about me just kind of just shooting, firing things at God for what I need from him, but to also just commune with him, to listen to what he has to say to me, right? And really change changed her, right? There was joy, even though the situa- situation was really difficult. That's what I'm talking about. When we obey him, when we walk with God and obey his laws, there is joy. There is delight. The question is Have you really experienced this delight and joy that comes from obeying the law of God? Or is His law still a, such a burden to you? Ah, I have to do this again, God. I have to do that. I have to pray. I have to, you know, obey this, obey that, and not do what I want? What is your mindset? Many laws and commands in the, the Bible are written as broad principles without legalistic detail. For example, work, right, work is prohibited on the Sabbath, but it's never defined legally. When you look at even the, uh, the Ten Commandments, right, you have to keep your, the Sabbath day holy. Without, you are not to work. But, it never, defi- the Bible never gives us a definition of what constitutes work, right? This ambiguity allowed flexibility. And oh, somebody like Pastor Jay would love that. Lawyers would love that, right? When the flexibility. When it's not clearly defined, that there is always a way for you to just bring some definition or different angle, different take that you can take. And the- so that there is some flexibility. So the ambiguity allowed flexibility. And the Pharisees didn't like that at all. And so they really consider that a liability. When the scripture was not very clear, when, when it says, keep the Sabbath day holy and do not work on that day. But it doesn't really specify what exactly is work, what is considered work. So you say that this is a liability, right? So they wanted to just uh, tighten up the loose ends, uh, loose ends. So to make sure the command itself of keeping the Sabbath day holy and not work would never be ta- violated, the rabbis through, through, the, through generations created secondary rigid rules that if followed would prevent a person from ever violating the law itself. And this was known as putting offense around the law. So what they would do is, okay, on Sabbath day, for you to, uh, when the, the law says do not, you know, work. So what constitutes work? If you go past, say, half a mile from your the from, from your just uh, from your house, then you are walking too much. You are exerting too much energy. So you should not walk beyond that boundary. Or they say if you take more than, uh, if you uh, you know if um, if you do do some kind of exercise that would yeah, exert too much energy. On Sabbath day, that is considered work, so you should not do such and such uh, exercise or like you, you should not be involved in this kind of activities. Maybe you know you should not just go out into the field, period, right? So they had all these strict laws in the hope that by keeping these secondary rules, that they will not come even close to violating the law itself, and these non biblical rules are prescribed exhaustively in the talmud it's a collection of jewish writings about religious law and theology and so it's just exhaustive like all these things that you should not do right on the sabbath day and the the rabbis would diligently teach them for generation and this became the tradition of men and this uh, became suffocating and burdensome to people And Jesus comes and rebukes the Pharisees and the religious establishment harshly for their legalism. Like when you read uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, this is what he says. So these are the laws that people have created. And um, if we have that. Yeah, then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Right? And so there is, uh, they would just somehow bring the law, the rules that people made, and then they would equate with the law of God. And Jesus would say, that's, that's not right. And he would rebuke them so harshly. That's why Jesus when he uh, was dealing with the Pharisees or the religious establishment, he was very harsh um, toward it because it was a con- it was contrary to the spirit of biblical law, right? We have to be very careful too about being legalistic. I remember uh, when I was uh, when I was in no, it was right after college, and when I was in seminary, we our uh, we, we were sending a team to uh to mission field like we were going to mexico and so you know once again i was like, so filled with like legalism and so like we say all right guys as a team you know we said all right we're gonna just go have a time uh, set aside a day for fasting let's fast and so we were just fasting we gathered together the whole day on saturday from 6 a.m to like you know uh, you know, midnight, uh, we, we were there together training and praying and all these things. And then right around like, you know, 11, 11 15 p.m. came around. Obviously, we were like so hungry. So everybody was, like, all right, let's, and I was like, okay, let's get get prepared food. So we were just spend like the next 30 minutes or something just you know, preparing like the the ramians and you know, all this food so that once it hits, you know, midnight, then the break and uh, the fasting is over. So we were just, and then, but, you know, like when you're really hungry, and when you smell the food, oh my gosh, you know, you're just like drooling and just like, you know, and people are like, all right, give me something. I was like, no, 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 no. We have to wait until the midnight, right? We have to just do the fasting, right? We cannot break the fast. So like, you know, around 11.45, people are like, come on, let's just eat. And I was like, I was getting so hung- hungry too. I was like all right, let's just ask God for forgiveness for breaking the, in the fasting. and then, So that was just mindset. It was just like everything was about, so the whole time that we were fasting, my mind was all about, okay, once the 24-hour the, the fasting is over, what are we going to eat, right? It just consumed my mind. Was that the right kind of fasting? Absolutely right. Absolutely not, right? Um, and, um, and sometimes we tend to think that uh, when, we, it comes to, when it comes to the law of God that we want to, the intention may be there, but then we can be really legalistic. We have to really watch out for that. Um, but, you know, here, as lawgiver, we have to come to understand that God is both holy and righteous. And the holiness of God means that he is separate from all that is common, profane, and sinful. He's not in the same category as we are. You know, we tend to think that we are on a lower level than God, but still kind of being in the same spectrum, right? If in the scale of 1 to 100, God is 100, and we are 0.1, we somehow think that we are still in the same spectrum, right? He's on the, on the one end, we are in the opposite end. But we are still on the same playing field, right? We are not. He's separate when The Scripture says God is holy. He's a complete separate. He's totally the other, right? And uh, we cannot compare ourselves with God because we are steeped in sin, whereas he's absolutely sinless. He's transcendent and in a category all by himself. He's not subject to our assessment of him and comparison with us. And the righteousness of God refers to the rightness and the fairness of, uh, of all his works and judgments. There is no possibility of making a mistake or being wrong with God. He's impartial. Romans 2.11 says, for God shows no partiality. So these attributes right, guarantee that God's law will always be appropriate and right. None of us is ever right all the time, no matter how desperately we want to be, right? And when there is a disagreement or a clash of will, right, we dig in and we claim that we are in the right and the other side is wrong. I mean, if you are married, you know what I'm talking about, right? When there is clash of wills and when there is disagreement, right? Same thing with me and Grace too, right? I'm saying, no, I am right. What I'm saying to you is right right and we would we would get into it right but truth be told we are right sometimes but other times we're not we are wrong right but it's just our ego and our pride get in the way and we don't want to admit that we are in the wrong you know dealing with an opinionated person it's difficult because that person is convinced that he or she is right so that's why that person gets so inflexible it's my way or highway. It's really hard to deal with these people because they think they are right. They're convinced. One of the Amazon like leadership principles which they post on their career site is that leaders are right most of the time. Right? So even the most relentless and driven company in the world like Amazon acknowledges that even their leaders are not right all the time. Well, but they qualify by saying most of the time we are right, right? Um, the truth is, God, but, but God is. God is right all the time, right? He's always right, and therefore, his law is always right. Now, you may have some questions, you know. Why has God declared some things to be right and others to be wrong? I mean, is the law of God nothing more than a random set of rules? Is there a reason behind all these commands and prohibitions? I mean, what is the essence of the law? And these are important questions to consider and understand. Because unless we have a solid understanding on this, it would really hinder our walk, Christian walk. It's like frog in a well. In, in a well. Like uh, it's, it's like an Asian... Uh, Know, proverbial saying a frog in a well meaning that when you when there's a frog right in a deep well right the only thing when he looks up the only thing he sees in the sky is the, is that you know the, the, the diameter of the well right so all his life living his life from the bottom so he cannot jump out of the well he thinks that the world or the sky looks like that a circle Right. He never sees the sea and the rest of the world die in there thinking that that's his world living in a well. If you, have this kind of, uh, if you don't have a clear and solid understanding on God's law, that's how we're going to view our Christian life, oh, God's law would just limit my life. It would make my life miserable. It is so restrictive. When you hear that God, uh, God is lawgiver, a shallow understanding would give you a picture of God, who is a killjoy. So, here are a couple things really quickly here are a couple of things to know and consider about God's law. The first is that God is the only basis for morality. God is the, yeah, the only basis for morality. In the moral relativism, says morality is relative so no one is objectively right or wrong and because no one is right or wrong right objectively everyone should tolerate the behavior of other people does that sound familiar because this is the philosophy of the world right hey you have no right to tell me what to do what what i do is right or wrong right you you believe your own set of beliefs I have my own set, and you are not, you know, you, you have no authority over me, or you are not any more right than me, right? It's all all this, you know, the morality is relative, right? So the po- tolerance is the operative word. When somebody comes along and says um, something that is unbiblical, right, and says, hey, we should tolerate, and we should tolerate all religions, Hey, we should tolerate the way of life by the LGBTQ plus community. Tolerance is the word because they say no one is right and no one is wrong, right? What is the basis for determining whether something is right or wrong? The scripture says that God is good. Whatever uh, Whatever that conforms to his character is good and whatever that contradicts his character is evil in other words apart from god there can be no law there can be no right or wrong no good or evil so what the non-christians say it makes sense to them because they do not uh, believe in the existence of god then all, that's the only logical conclusion that they can come to. Because you are no more right or wrong than me. So you cannot tell me what I'm doing is right or wrong. Right? But scripture makes it clear that God is the only basis for morality. None of us can be. God's revealed will in the scriptures is the final authority in our faith and practice. When we come to a disagreement, when There's a disagreement among people. We try to, of course, just reconcile. We try to just uh, figure things out. But in the end, what do we turn to? Who do we turn to? God and his word. What does the word of God say? What is the biblical principle? And the things that we do not agree on. What does the scripture guide us and teach us on this matter, on this subject? That's where we have to settle the the difference and the Disagreement. So that's some one thing that we have to understand that God is the, the only uh, basis for morality. And the second thing is that God's laws are an expression of who He is. God's law is an expression of who He is. His laws are not arbitrary that, that He has chosen, but is a reflection of His character. The law of God that's revealed in the scriptures. It reveals who he is, his character, his holiness, his righteousness, love, and all these other things. God commands the behavior that pleases him and forbids what offends him. Sometimes even Christians speak of the law as if it were just a set of these eternal uh, and universal uh, principles independent of God. That even God is subject to the law. While that the, uh, cannot be true, that cannot be further from the truth. It is God who has established the law. And the law here he has established is the expression of his own nature. When God reveals something to God, when God gave us laws, that really tells something about who God is. And Jesus summarizes the essence of God's law. In two great commandments, as we know, love him supremely and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because Jesus says that on these two depend all the law and the prophets. The knowledge that we love God supremely and others as ourselves is written on the heart of every man, and its full implications are actually spelled out clearly in the Bible. Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments. Fleshing out what that really means. When we say love God, he's saying do not, you know, just worship any other idols, right? And what does it mean to love others? Honor your father and mother, right? And do not, st- you love others by not stealing. You love others by not killing. You love others by not lying. You love others by not, you know, taking the neighbor's wife or coveting and all these things right so the essence of all the laws of god that's given in the bible it is based on love for god and love for other people that is the true essence of the law that was given to us and jesus makes it clear that desires and intentions <clears throat> as well as actions must be right Because he really condemns the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the religious establishment. Because they try to hide the inner corruption, what's truly in their heart, what their motive was. They're only trying to show to other people the outward things, right? Outward show. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 and 8 says this. You hypocrites. Well, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Our motives inside are just as important. So when it comes to obeying the law of God. If you are simply outwardly, it looks like you are praying. It looks like you are reading the Bible or it looks like you are uh, keeping the law. But if your heart is in the wrong place, if your motive is wrong, then God says it is wrong. You are just simply being hypocritical, right? Our motive has to arise from love for God and love for other people when it comes to, to obeying the law of God. And Jesus promises, the one who obeys my commands is the one who loves me. He did not say, the one who says that, that, that they love God is the one who loves me. That's not what he said. He said, he's the one who obeys my commands. He's the one who loves me. And he promises that I, will, uh, I and the Father will come in and fellowship with him, dine with him. And there comes the true joy and delight that come. To summarize A holy and righteous God who created us is also our lawgiver to let us know what his will is and how we are to live our lives. He's telling us what pleases him. And he's also telling us what would offend him. He's letting us know as our creator. And it is now up to us. If we truly believe that God is our creator, God is our redeemer, that we have to also understand that God is our lawgiver. He told us what would be appropriate for us and what is not. And His law is an overflow, an expression of who He is. Out of the overflow of His character, He revealed the law. It is not to make our lives miserable. Contrary to our human thinking, true freedom, joy, and delight come from obeying the commands rather than breaking free from his law my prayer is for us to experience the true joy instead of thinking that the law of god would hamper our life and that G, uh, that god is a kill joy instead of thinking along that line come to understand what god has given to us is for our good, for our benefit and it means to give us law so that we may experience joy and delight in him. And may that be our understanding going forward and live according to his will. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to uh, come before him and to um, seek his face. Uh, let's um, consider our ways before him and our approach and attitude. But what is revealed in the scriptures? Have you considered it? Have you considered the law of God boring, irrelevant, restrictive, suffocating, unfair, or just simply a burden to carry, a bitter pill to swallow? Was that our attitude? Or have you truly experienced joy? jubilation and delight when you obey the Lord because that's what God has intended for us and if you haven't maybe your mind